This episode of Above and Beyond is sponsored by Compassion International. To sponsor a child today, simply visit Compassion.com slash above. I had a feeling when we started this podcast process that I would learn an awful lot about the people we get a chance to sit down with. I also had a hunch that I would learn a lot about myself through it as well. And through the first two episodes with with Matt Hasselbeck and and then with Tony Dungy, you learn about humility. You're challenged with humility. In Tony Dungy's session, we got to hear about how you make things better. Something I got to live for a couple years, and I am so thrilled to spend the next 45 minutes with John Kitna. Because he and I, I, I would say... We dove as deep in relationship, uh, both spiritually, as teammates, as friends, as anyone I ever did in my professional career, and, and even going back through my college years. John played 16 years in the NFL. <laughs> it was after being a 12th string quarterback, way back when at Central Washington. Way, way back when. We were in a camp together when I was in junior high. And I got to watch John's story evolve here, and then I got to be his teammate. I got to share a room with him. I got to watch integrity personified, and man, did I love it. And as much as anything, I got to see transparency and vulnerability, exactly what I think we're going to encounter over the next 45 minutes. John, we had a lot of car rides to the stadium, a lot of times in the hotel room going over game plans and everything else. But we get a chance to sit down now and talk about your faith journey, that intersection of faith and sports, which has really defined your life. Where'd the journey begin? You know, what I tell people all the time, I went to a private school. I went to a Lutheran school up through fourth grade, but it wasn't, I mean, it was just kind of like what my grand, my grandma's grandkids did and where you know her kids went to school but you know no i tell people all the time um when christ saved me at 21 years old in october of 1993 uh that was really the first time i ever saw a bible was was at that point and really ever had a uh conversation that i can recall about jesus or god or anything on that level and uh that was not how my home was it wasn't it wasn't anti-Jesus. It just wasn't. It was just there was none. So we didn't have conversations on either side of the ledger as, as far as uh, Christianity came. So I think I hear you, John, say there's no faith background whatsoever. So then how did you go out and you compete in the sports world without any of that background? Yeah, I mean, it was all about me. Uh, you know, I guess a lot like a lot of people, but um, it was just totally about myself and trying to um, bring as much attention to myself as possible um, so much so that uh, I remember actually one time uh, I think it was my sophomore year in college and and uh, right before it was right before I got saved and we were playing a game my parents you know they're they're great they came to every game and we were playing down in southern Oregon it was about 105 that day and and uh, it was a it was a close game going back and forth and and uh, you know I I, I was a jerk on the field. I mean, I would get in other guys' faces uh, uh, on the other team, and then if I didn't like my teammates and how they were playing, I was in their faces as well. And I remember after the game, my mom came up to me, and she put her finger right in my chest and said, if you ever embarrass me like that ever again, I'll never come to another one of your games. And, uh, and you know, that was kind of, I would say, the microcosm of who I was. I was a complete idiot in fact you know I coach high school football now and 
the person I was back then is exactly who I'm trying to help these young men not be. And uh, it was it was embarrassing. And uh, I don't know why my parents even came to games, honestly, because that's it was embarrassing. And you went over to college. You made the drive from Tacoma to Central Washington University. For those that, that don't know and aren't familiar with the geography of the state of Washington, that's right in the middle of the state, what, about an hour and a half uh, from home. You went over there as the number one recruit in the class, right? You went over there as the top quarterback. It was your job to lose, right? You were handed everything, were you not? <laughs> well, Recruiting was uh, a foreign concept to me. Um, in fact, I, I believe really the only reason they uh, wanted me to come over there was because they really wanted my best friend, uh, who was a receiver, and uh, and they and me and him were tied at the hip. And uh, and so I really, as I look back on it, I think that was the only reason they recruited me was because they knew like if I was going over there, then then he was going to be coming with me. And and. Uh, I mean, I showed up. I was the 12-string quarterback on day one, so um, <laughs> it was quite an interesting journey. Hold on. 12? 12. <laughs> 12. How do you have 12 quarterbacks on a roster? <laughs> you got Central Washington, man. It's, <laughs> there's there's no limits back then. There was – I mean, it was the wild, wild west out there. And, and uh, you know, we I, I'll never forget it. Uh, my coach was Greg Olson at the time, quarterback coach, and he didn't recruit me um, – um, the head coach had come and seen my, myself and my best friend, and he's the one. That, and so I never even met Greg. And then the first day of camp, you know, at Central, you don't have GAs and you don't have equipment guys and you don't have any of that. So they give quarterbacks footballs, and you got to keep it with you. So if they get, you know, you get your football and you got to bring it out to practice, you got to take it from drill to drill, and you got to make sure you get it and take it back in at the end of practice. And you did that every day. Well. The, on day one, they're handing out footballs, and you know they hand one to Ken Stradley, the returning starter, and Bo Baldwin, the the backup, and and uh, and you know on down the line, third guy, fourth guy, fifth guy, sixth guy, he's handing out footballs. He gets all the way through eleven guys, and number twelve was me. <laughs> and there's no footballs left. And uh, I remember having to go back at lunchtime and get the football that I brought over from Lincoln that I stole from Lincoln, and uh, and that was my football, and I was the only one that didn't get a football, so. Greg Olson says I wasn't the 12-string quarterback, but in my mind, I was the 12-string quarterback. You know what? We'll get down the road to your 15-year NFL career, and we'll kind of walk through this path and this journey. But at that moment, if someone would have pulled you aside and said, hey, come here, you punk. I've seen the way you compete, and it's all about you. But they pull you over to the sideline and say, hey, this is your future. You're going to be in the NFL what, some 20 years later from, from that moment, even longer as you came back and circled back and the Cowboys bring you back, if someone would have shown you that picture then, could you have even grasped it? I'd have totally believed them. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have totally believed them. Uh, you know, I, I, that's how naive I was, though, um, not understanding, you know, where I was at and the fact that, you know, nobody had made it to the NFL out of there at that point. And, uh, and so if somebody would have told me that, I'd have been like, of course I am. <laughs> uh, like, I literally had that kind of belief. And uh, and I thought, you know, I didn't understand that it was I, – I, at that point, I thought it was my coach's fault in high school that I didn't get recruited and, and all that stuff. And, and uh, I remember being at a, a luncheon for, uh, like, Pierce County Scholar Athlete of the Year or something like that. I, I, I'm not exactly sure what it was, but uh, the recruiting coordinator at University of Washington was there that day. He was the speaker. And uh, his name was, I think, Dick Baird. And uh, you probably remember him. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was he was at the, the luncheon. There's probably, you know, 30, 40 people. And he, he mouths to me across the table, you know, hey, I want to talk to you later. I'm like, of course you do. 
Of course you do. <laughs> you want to give me a scholarship? Of course you do. I know. And uh, so, you know, I had to hold this the whole lunch. And, and again, I'm completely the cockiest person you ever. I mean, literally, you would hate me. I hate myself. <laughs> and uh, at the end of the lunch, he comes up and I'm like, you know, here you go. You know, I have to tell him, you know, well, I'll, th- I'll think about it. And uh, and he says, hey, uh, I was wondering, can, can I get lawyer Malloy's number from you? Because <laughs> uh, cause lawyer and I were teammates and, and lawyer was a junior at the time. But that was that was kind of how I believed. I mean, if somebody would have told me that uh, my freshman year, you know, being a 12 string quarterback, uh, maybe not on day one, maybe maybe in week number two, maybe I would have been like, yeah, of course I am. And at that point. You talked about never really experiencing Jesus or seeing a Bible or anything. <laughs> At that point, as headstrong as you are, where is any faith component? I'm sure you're now introduced on the college campus, teammates. Were you introduced in any way? No, none, none, literally none. There, I don't remember a ministry. I don't remember any organization. The only thing I ever had was in high school. You know, they they had like Young Life, but. They were just, you know, I, I just went a couple of times that, you know, they were doing something particularly fun or there was some girl that I, that was going there that I was interested in. But no, none, zero, zero, like zero exposure at all to anything Christian. You know, things are going good. And I went from 12th string to third string in two weeks. And, you know, I went to every game and I loved, you know, red shirt and was fine with me and I was getting bigger. And, you know, I mean, it was all what I could do for myself. So you redshirt, you're 12th string, you get to third string, you get your own football now the following year. <laughs> right. uh, you come out as a redshirt freshman, you play as a redshirt freshman? Yeah. Um, end up uh, going into camp. Uh, Greg Olson, again, uh, guy who's coaching the league for a long time now, but he told Bo, Bo Baldwin and myself, hey, you guys are going to have open competition for this and and uh, going into camp. And so um, we competed for it and and uh, at the end of camp, it was the most ringing endorsement I've ever got. He said, uh, you know, I don't know that, John, you've beat out Bo, but I just think that in the long term, you know, we got a better chance to win, you know, on a high level later on down the road. Mm. And so, um, but of course, I was like, of course, yeah, I'm a starter. I mean, why would you ever think anything different? Uh, I've seen this in bits, by the way, on a basketball court in a pickup game. We'll get to some of that later. So you play your redshirt freshman. You play your redshirt sophomore. It's 105 degrees in Southern Oregon, and mom puts her finger in your chest and says, never again. Yeah. What's the awakening? When does the faith come to light? When does the John Kitna that I know, that the world has known, that so many experience, that so many live through, through your mm-hmm. NFL career, and that witness that was so powerful, even in the face of persecution, when did that not come? Well, it was about a month after my mom put her finger in my chest. And, and uh, you know, I had had a lot of things that, you know, I was an alcoholic. Um, <laughs> I remember my best friend and I, you know, we went to college and we said, hey, man, we're not going to be like everybody else. We're not going to drink. We're not going to smoke. We're not we're not doing any of that. And uh, literally that lasted probably two weeks for me. Got on campus, started drinking. And I wasn't that alcoholic that I, like drank every day. But, you know, probably two or three da- times a week I drank to where, you know, I couldn't remember um, the next morning and all that stuff. And. I was, you know, stealing, cheating my way through school, womanizing like crazy. Uh, you know, got to the point where my mom and dad is, you know, hey, quit coming home, man. You're being too much of a bad influence on your brother. And uh, and we just, we don't want you around here. We're tired of having to wait up all night, worried about if you're going to make it home. And and uh, we just rather have you not be around here. And I got caught stealing uh, at Albertsons in, in Ellensburg and had to go to court and pay a $500 fine and 
you know, I'll never forget the day my dad confronted me about that and told me how embarrassing that was. And all those things were like, they kind of, you know, they get your attention, but when you're an idiot and you're just like, you just shrug it off and you, you know, you're invincible. So, you know, I would, I'm, I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to stop doing, I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop womanizing. I'm gonna, but every time it got worse and worse and worse. And that was really the first couple of years. And then my mom puts her finger in my chest and that was, that wasn't really an awakening per se. Um, but like a month later, um, I remember it was a Thursday night and, uh, you know, I had a girlfriend. We were dating for about a year, a little over a year. She was special. She was a couple years ahead of me in school. She had her head on straight, which kind of is a contradiction because I don't know why she was with me. But, uh, you know, she was. God's um, grace. That's Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Getting her degree. And, and uh, she was going to graduate that year and, and, and all that stuff. And, and, uh, and, you know, we had been dating about a year. But, of course, I'm doing the womanizing thing. And, you know, one month you want to be with her every day. And the next month, oh, you know, I need my space. And it was kind of one of those times I'm like, yeah, I know I need my space. And, and, uh, you know, I think we should just take a break for a little bit. And she didn't agree, but she left. And, um, you know, she comes back a couple hours later that same day, comes back or that night, comes back a couple hours later. And, uh, I was in bed. I wasn't in bed alone, but I was in bed and, uh, she walked in and caught me in bed with another girl. And that was like, you know, the, the, the chaos ensued. And then um, the other girl left, and and uh, me and my girlfriend at the time were, you know, talking this thing through and hashing it out, and and uh, you know, this statement comes out of my mouth. I said, I don't, I don't know what this means for you and I, but I need to go back to church, and uh, which is, I I don't know where it came from, but uh, but I knew I said it, and I knew I kind of meant it, even though I didn't know what that meant because I'd never been to church. I'm not sure how you go back to something you've never been to, but. I need to go back to church. And, and, uh, fortunately for me, just a couple months earlier than that, a guy who was playing in the NFL, his name is Eric Bowles. And he went to central and he had graduated my freshman year and, and he was playing for the jets at the time. He was getting ready for training camp and he stayed with my roommate and I over the summer at Ellensburg. Cause he wanted to be able to train without any distractions. And, uh, I remember when he was living with us and I'm just like, man, this guy is different because he was who we were trying to be, like run the school, have all the girls have, you know, just like you get everything. And uh, so like I was when he was came back, I'm like, man, I can't wait to show you. And he comes back and he don't want to go out and he's sitting there reading a, a book. It's like 930 at night. He's reading a book. Who does that? Like, in, like, who does that? And he's listening to weird sounding music. It sounds like opera to me. And uh, and uh but so when like when you know when he was living with us for a couple of weeks, I'm like man, I can't wait for this weirdo to leave. But then when this happened with my girlfriend, he's a person I called. He's in New York at the time. I called him, and I said, man, what what changed for you? And that's when for the first time in my life, somebody shared Christ with me. I need to get back to church. <laughs> How do you explain that today? Uh, that's totally the Holy Spirit. Even before I had accepted Jesus Christ was, was working because there, I mean, for something that's not on your radar, I mean, it's not like you, again, I didn't reject Jesus. I'd never heard about him at 21 years old. I'd never heard really clearly the gospel or mm. why Jesus or anything like that. And so, 
you know, I think God was just working on my heart and it's only by the grace of God that I didn't kill myself before this point. And, uh, and so, you know, when he shares the gospel with me, we're on the phone. He's, you know, we're paying a dollar a minute. You remember back in those days, you didn't have cell phones. You're paying a dollar a minute and we're probably on the phone for an hour. He's sharing the gospel and, mm. And I remember him, you know, I remember one of the questions I asked, okay, okay, so look, look I'm ready. I'm ready for this. What do I got to do? I got to like go on some retreat in the summertime out in the woods. Like this is how naive I am. I mean, this, how does this happen? Do I got, you know, what do I got to do? I got to separate myself. No, 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 no. You know, Jesus got, Jesus got you. He wants you right where you're at. Okay, good. Then I'll, I'm ready for that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop cussing. Stop having sex. I'm gonna stop, you know, cheating my way through school. I'm gonna stop doing all these things. Then I'm gonna come to know Jesus. And he explains to me, no, here's what the word says. He says, Jesus wants you exactly like you are. He'll he'll make the changes. He'll come in. He'll live with you in the form of the Holy Spirit in your heart. He'll make those changes. And so, man, I'm just you know blown away by this. And uh, you know, two weeks later, he happened to be back on a bye week, and he came to our game, and he he gets me alone. He said, hey. Did you did you have a chance to to pray that prayer and, and and give your life to Christ? And I you know I no I haven't done that yet. And I I remember seeing the disappointment in his face. And again, this is a guy that I was trying to be. Mm. And uh, I remember seeing the disappointment in his face. And that was on that on that Saturday. And the next day, I'm in my room all by myself. It's been two weeks, a little over two weeks since that incident with my girlfriend. And and uh, I remember I'm watching Sunday night football on a little 13 inch TV. And this burden, you know, this heavy you know guilt and burden was on me. And and uh, I pushed uh, mute on my TV and got down on the floor and prayed and asked Jesus to come into my life. And I remember being on that floor for about 30 minutes and my prayer lasted about 30 seconds. It was like this tape playing in my mind of, you know, who I actually was, not what I wanted people to think I was, but who I actually was. And uh, I got up off that floor and man, it was amazing. The, the burden that I felt, that guilt that I felt, that heavy, you know, you know, responsibility or burden, like, like I said, that I've been carrying was like immediately I felt lighter mm. and, uh, <laughs> it was, it was amazing. I called him and told him and uh, he told me how to start praying and, you know, uh, all the things I had been trying to stop doing. God took care of those things in a matter of weeks, alcohol, womenizing, cheating, stealing, cussing. I mean, he, he took care of those in a matter of weeks without me really even trying. It was just praying and, uh, those things left 30 minutes on your knees and you're talking for 30 seconds. So what's going on the other 29, 30? Just like this replaying of, you know, my life and that just the kind of the horrible person that I am in my mind, just like all the people I've heard, all the people I've lied to, just, you know, the, what my, my persona was uh, on the outside to what was actually happening on the inside. And, fact that I can never reconcile that on the inside of me and, and uh, not feeling worthy. And it was just like this. I couldn't get up off the floor no, for 30 minutes. It was, it was, you know, the craziest thing. And, uh, you know, of course I want to start telling people right away cause I'm, you know, I'm an all in kind of person. That's why I was a great alcoholic. <laughs> I was all in. And, uh, and so anyways, I, you know, told my girlfriend and she was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And, uh, and, you know, told my mom and, and my grandma, my grandma was pumped, you know, she, my grandma loves Jesus, but I didn't have, you know, I knew that she was like different, but I didn't really understand that. And uh, she never really talked to us about it. And I uh, told my dad and my dad was just like, you know, yeah, whatever. And, uh, and so anyways, my girlfriend sat there and watched me October, November, December, 
And uh, in January, um, the guy who led me to Christ, matter of fact, came back to finish his degree and started a Bible study, Eric Bowles. Mm. He said, you need to invite whoever because you said, you know, hey, no teammates try to lead you to Christ or talk to you about Jesus. No, nobody. Because he was like, hey, let's start a Bible study. I'm like, okay. And he's like, yeah, just invite, you know, whoever you think would want to be there. I'm like, uh, <laughs> slight problem. We don't really, I don't really, you know, so I'm like, well, we're going to have it at my apartment. So my roommate needs to be there, my best friend, EJ. So he should probably be there. <laughs> I haven't even told him that I'm saved. And I'll invite my girlfriend because, you know, hopefully this is going to work out. And and uh, and then we invited, I invited one other guy named Larry Bellinger, who was, you know, I went to high school with him. And he was like a good guy. So, like, and he never really did any dirt. So I'm like, well, there's something different about him. Maybe he should come. <laughs> so literally there's five of us in that Bible study, and my girlfriend gets saved. And EJ gets saved, and Larry rededicates his, his life. And uh, and my girlfriend just uh, got on fire for the Lord. We both got on fire for the Lord. And that Bible study grew from five people to, like, 200 people by the end of the school year. Wow. It was crazy. Wow. Now, again, my girlfriend gets saved, and uh, – we're trying to figure out this Christian thing, like what you know, how do we, how do we walk? And dude's leading us through a Bible study and taking a disciple in me and all this stuff. And so I'm just started asking questions like, um, should we be having sex? Because like literally, just too, absolutely naive. And he tells me, no, you know, you shouldn't. And takes me to the Word and shows me. Mm-hmm. And you know, okay, we're not going to do that. And then a week later, should we be even like sleeping at the, each other's place? No, you know, the Bible says don't even give the appearance of evil. All right, all right, you know, we're not going to do that. And then, uh, you know, probably a couple of weeks later, you know, she was struggling to keep her hands off of me. So, um, <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so we started looking up in the Bible, like anything on marriage. <laughs> and, you know, she's getting ready to graduate. I'm going in, you know, finishing up my third year. And, and uh, we look up anything on marriage in the Bible and we find the scripture that says, better be married than burn with passion or burn with lust. Mm-hmm. And uh, I looked at her, she looked at me, and I said, you know, we better get married. And that's how I proposed. And uh, <laughs> we've been married uh, 22 years, man. Wow. And, and it's been an incre- incredible blessing. But wow. So we got married that summer, you know, 10 months after she caught me in bed with another girl, which, you know, she says it, I say it, the worst thing I could do to her at the time mm. ended up being the greatest thing that ever happened to her or I or our families. My parents wow. end up getting saved. Her parents get saved. Brothers get saved. Aunts, uncles, cousins. You know, it was crazy. Um, all the people that ended up giving their life to Christ over time um, from that one moment. Mm. And uh, mm. really, it was goes back to that moment, that, that week, that two weeks that Eric Bowles spent with us in the summer and just seeing yep. the change in one person's life was, was crazy. So then I'm a Christian. I'm thinking, oh, man, great, things are going to be great. We almost, you know, and we went deep in the playoffs my sophomore year and <laughs> coming back my junior year, we're bringing a whole bunch of people back and it was awful. The worst year of football in my life. Really? Yeah. It was terrible. You want me to keep talking about it? Yeah. So your junior year is adversity. Yeah. I mean, you know, I came to know the Lord and people are coming to know the Lord on the team. And I mean, you know, you're just like, ah, oh, man, it's going to be great and, and everything's going to be awesome. And, uh, Greg Olson, you know, again, my quarterback coach, offense coordinator, he took a job at, uh, University of Idaho going into that year and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, I didn't quite see eye to eye with the offense, the new offensive coordinator. And, uh, I went from where Greg Olson was like, Hey, you know, if you don't like it, just change the play or audible. Mm-hmm. If you see some, you know, and then I went to another guy that now, you know, he does, he doesn't want us to audible anything. And so like, again, I'm still fighting this, you know, my old pattern and my new ways and, and uh, kind of struggling with that whole deal. But yeah, it, it, it fell flat, but, 
fortunately, I mean, if I could have graduated after my junior year, I probably would have graduated and just stopped playing football because it just wasn't fun. And my wife and I, we were ready to start teaching and she was teaching and she was coaching and, uh, you know, we were ready to start that life. And, uh, and fortunately, um, I couldn't graduate. And then really fortunately was that Bo Baldwin started coaching Mm. and, uh, and he came over and had a conversation. He brought me and the offensive coordinator together and we had just, you know, great, like, you know, aired our feelings out. It was a real man conversation and Bo was tremendous and everybody knows, you know, how successful Bo has been at, at Eastern, but, um, you know, I mean, I, without Bo, I'm not playing football. I, I would have never made it to the NFL. And, and uh, he was just a tremendous, you know, quarterback coach for me, a friend, a mentor. And this is the guy that, you know, I beat out to to become the starter my freshman year. The same guy. He ends up investing in me and uh, and pouring into me. And, and uh, it was just, you know, it was amazing how all this this worked out. And so. Anyways, came back my senior year. Like I said, my junior year was just – it was terrible. And uh, it was not fun. And, and 96 probably doesn't happen without 95? Oh. Again, want to be a professional athlete. You know, we had gone into debt to get married in college. And, and so, you know, we're just praying, Lord, give us man, give us an opportunity. Make a door open in the NFL. And we just want to get one year, Lord. If we can get one year in the NFL to get out of debt, that would be tremendous. And, and that was our prayer. We prayed it. I mean, it seemed like every day. I'm sure it wasn't every day, but it seemed like every day. And uh, going into our my senior year, and I'll never forget the day before we're starting camp. We get this. I'm in the weight room, and there's this guy in the weight room that I never seen before. I'm like, who is this guy? And uh, it ends up being Dennis Erickson's nephew, Jamie Christian, and uh, he had been at Fresno State, and and uh, things didn't work out there, so he was transferring in for his senior year to play for us. And uh, Coach Erickson, obviously, with the Seahawks at the time, and and so senior year, it was awesome. I mean, we played uh, 14 games, I think. We went 11 and three, went to the national championship game, got to play that in Tacoma Dome, and and uh, you know, answered a trivia question in case you ever want to make some money off your friends. When's the last tie in college football? It was us. Mm. Um, we tied in the national championship game, mm. which is the epitome of NEIA. That's great. Nobody loses, you know. So <laughs> that's perfect. And uh, I'm thinking football's over. I hadn't heard from anybody. We have a guy on our team that's going to the combine. I didn't hear anybody anything for about the combine or anything like that. I'm at the time, you know, top five in NCA passing all time of all levels, and like my name's up there with like Ty Detmer, and, mm-hmm. and so like you know, I thought things had gone pretty good. You win a national championship, you know, so I'm feeling pretty good. And but you know, didn't hear anything from anybody. You know, football ends in early December or whatever it was, and I'm thinking it's over. And uh, but I'm I'm at peace with that. My wife and I were ready to go. We've been you know married over a year now, and and. Uh, I'm doing my student teaching at Davis High School. She's teaching at Davis High School and coaching. And I mean, we're moving on. So it's March, and Jamie calls me and says, Hey, Uncle D wants to work us out tomorrow. You know, what do you think? I'm like, Absolutely. So load up the Ford Escort and drive from Yakima over to, to Seattle. And, uh, and, and coach brings us in, sits us down. He says, Listen, it's the University of Washington's uh, senior day. And, pro day and so all the scouts are in town i told my scouts to let them know that hey you guys are over here because they they're not going to drive over to yakima to see you but they might come over here so you know i let them know that you guys are over here and they can come test you once you guys go downstairs and hang out and and then uh you know they should be here shortly so we go downstairs and i mean we're just you know being idiots and joey galloway's locker and brian blade's locker and, and you know just hanging out and having a good time rick meyer and all that stuff and 
and uh we're down there two and a half hours it must have been mm. and coach comes downstairs he's like i don't know where these guys are at so you know let's go outside i'll work you out so we go out there uh, running back coach and, and coach erickson mm. and they have us run a 40 and we're getting ready to run our second one and they're like yeah that's enough <laughs> i don't think they were really impressed with my four nine forty and uh <laughs> and so he said let's let's throw you know i think he felt bad like here we drove over and we're sitting there two and a half hours and nobody showed up because you know you don't just work out for the head football coach of an organization but i just think he felt bad and uh we start throwing and the run you know jamie's over there working with the running back guy there's no receivers he's got his 13 year old son bryce He'd be just he just tell him, hey, stand over there at 15 yards. Okay, yeah, hey, move over here. Hey, go to 20. Get, you know, go down there at 42. You know, you just moving them all over the place, not running routes, just moving them to spots. <laughs> I I throw for an hour, and uh, I don't think I've ever thrown the ball better than that. Hmm. And uh, it was like it started out as just kind of like uh, you know, kind of due diligence, and then you know, five, ten, fifteen, twenty minutes, and all of a sudden, you know, he's talking to me, try this and. All right, I want to see you do this on this one. And it was like the greatest thing ever. And then Randy Mueller came downstairs and hmm. and uh, he got my information. He's like, yeah, do you have an agent? Yeah, not really. And uh, <laughs> and then I remember Jacksonville pulls up and Randy says, you're not working out. So I don't go to the combine and I don't have scouts come over. And look, I get the general manager and the head coach working me out. Hmm. I mean, that's that's called, you know, <laughs> the providence of God. John, what is providence? What is the providence of God, and what did that look like with somebody who's on fire coming into an NFL locker room? Yeah, I think the providence of God is is when he orchestrates things that are happening on the human level, on the earthly level, the things that we can see that have far greater um, impact, and and uh, you know they they they're things that have already he's already determined should happen um in his his infinite mind mm-hmm. his infinite mind and knowledge he's already determined those things to happen but he uses you know humans to um, make those things come to pass mm. you feel that providence when you were there as a as a rookie in this whole process are you feeling that this kind of calling and this leading as crazy as the journey has been at this point yeah i remember my first mini camp and of course you know people want to talk about me a little bit because I am the hometown kid and, and all that stuff. And so I remember, you know, John Clayton was there at, at our first mini camp. And I remember my first snap, they wouldn't give me any reps. You know, Rich Olson, who was uh, my quarterback coach, he, he didn't give me any reps. I didn't get to throw routes on air with the receivers and I didn't get to take any seven on seven. I didn't get to take any team. I'd be down there working on with receivers and handing the ball off and all that stuff that a fourth or fifth, fifth guy does. And uh, and so here we go into mini camp and, you know, things are going and I'm just standing in the back. And I mean, it's probably been two hours since I've thrown a football and all of a sudden last period of the day and it's blitz. And Rich is like, you're in kit. Like, what do you mean I'm in? Like, I don't know anything. But, I, you know, I'm not going to let anybody know that. So I go in there and I'll never forget my first snap. The guard steps on my foot as I'm coming away from center. And, you know, as a quarterback, that is one of the loneliest aside from the ball getting tipped in the air. Yep. That's one of the loneliest feelings. It feels like forever. The fall feels like it takes five minutes. So I'm falling and stumbling and, you know, I'm trying to regain my feet and pick the ball up and, you know, keep the play going. And they're blowing the whistle because in the NFL, you blow the whistle when stuff like that happens. You just blow the whistle. Later later that night, 
my brother and my dad called me and they're like, man, you look like an idiot. <laughs> I mean, what are you talking about? So I looked at ESPN and they got, you know, or I, it wasn't ESPN. It was the local news later on that night. And they got John Clayton and they show my, like, they show my one play. And I'm falling all over the ground. And they ask him, you know, hey, John, you know, you know what, what kind of chance do you think John Kitten has to make it? And he says, well, he said, you know, Dennis Erickson knows him. So I'd say he has about a 5% chance. But if Dennis Erickson didn't know me, he'd have a 0% chance. I knew I was making it. Like, in my mind, of course I'm going to make it. Um, I still had that confidence. It just wasn't idiotic confidence anymore. most profound what providential moment you had as a Seahawk because mm-hmm. you've had some of these I want to get through these today in this little journey and, and I mm-hmm. want to end with uh, a way we can encourage and support you and your heart John but if we can kind of walk through this journey from what four five year five years mm-hmm. in Seattle then on to Cincinnati for another mm-hmm. five on to Detroit for three on to Dallas for two they bring you back and I know you've had moments but give me that faith in sports give me that intersection mm-hmm. give me that providential moment in Seattle as a Seahawk man there's so many and because uh, God's at work all the time right it's not like you know oh, God did something for you and you know October of 93 and then you know you don't no God is always at work and it's how often do we walk in his footsteps? It's not he doesn't you know he doesn't need to come meet us. We need to come get get with his you know his program and and uh, but as I think about it you know as I think the biggest moment in Seattle was probably you know at the end of the year they brought me in they said hey you know we want to send you to NFL Europe and 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 uh, they're trying to explain this to me and you got to understand this is '96 you didn't really know anything about this you you know they try to explain it to you and all I know is you're going to tell me I got to be away from my wife for four months. That's all I know. So I don't want that. I'm praying against that. Me and my wife, you know, the same way we prayed about God opening the door in the NFL. And we're, we're praying and saying, you know, Lord, we don't want to go. I don't want to go over there for this. I don't want to do this. And, and, uh, and so we're praying and, and I mean, January comes and, and it's the end of January and we haven't heard anything. So we're like, Oh man, maybe, you know, we're good. We're good. And uh, sure enough, we get a call from this guy. He's got this, you know, he's obviously from England. And uh, he's got the English accent. He says, you know, John Kidna, it's a Friday. And uh, he says, on Monday morning, your flight is at such and such a time. You get two bags. You'll be with the Barcelona Dragons. And I'm like, and, and, you know, basically he just hangs up. (laughs) And I'm like, "Uh, it couldn't have been better. They were tremendous. They taught me so much about football. I love their approach to it. I remember, you know, first game, you know, because I, I still get a little fiery. I still get fired up, and, and uh, I just wouldn't cuss at people anymore. I wouldn't, you know, get in people's faces, and I was a little fired up, and I was upset about something, and Jack brings me aside, and during a timeout, and he, he says, have you ever had a coach beat you up? And I said, no, nah, no, nah, I've never had that happen. He said, because I'm about to beat you up. <laughs> and so I thought, you know, it was just like this perfect match. And so when you talk about, like, the biggest moment for me, because yeah. going over there and getting to play – and getting to do that and then winning a World League Championship and being the MVP. Now, you know, when I came back, it just sped up my process because you can't just put me on practice squad anymore because people will sign you off a of practice squad. And yep. so now they had to put me on the roster. And, it's, and so it sped up my process mm. with the Seahawks. And so in Seattle, I think that would be the one. Mm. Um, 
when I went to Cincinnati. Please quite tell, honestly. please tell me it's the one. Please tell me it's about your bonus. Please tell me that because I've kind of hinted at that one. Please tell me that was the one in Cincinnati when they tried not to pay you, when they oh, yeah. tried not to get you to reach your bonus. Please, t- please tell me that story, Mister. <laughs> That's Kidman. a long story. That's a long story. I will. Okay, I'll tell you that one. That's a long story. In my contract, if I played any percent, eighty percent of the plays, I got a you know my my bon or my contract escalated, and so mm-hmm. it'd be. I think it was, you know, in year one, it was like $2 million. It would escalate. Mm-hmm. And then it was every year, you know, these bonuses would kick in if you got to 80%. So my first year, you know, we weren't very good. And uh, a matter of fact, we were awful. And so, um, you know, I would played, I think uh, at that point, I would played like 11 games or something. And then I was playing fine. You know, I was doing okay. And uh, I remember um, Dick LeBeau was our head coach. And he said, you know, he brings me in on a Friday. He says, we're going to bench you. And, I mean, he's in tears. Dick is one of the, you know, the great guys of all time. I said, Coach, don't worry about it. You know, if God wanted me to be playing, I'd be playing. Mm. And uh, we go to New York to play the Jets. And uh, Achilles Smith hurts himself, hurts his hamstring in the first half. I'm back in. So I played a, you know, second half of that game. So then we come back and, you know, we got three or four games left, whatever it is. And, hey, Scott Mitchell is going to be the starter this week. This is a, and they made that decision before we, you know, before the end of the week. You know, we're going to get him out of there. Scott Mitchell's going to be a starter. So, at Wednesday on practice, at, at practice on Wednesday, he goes out there and he tears up like a rib muscle. He's out. So they, they ain't got any choice. They have to play me. You know, I'm the only quarterback left. So, I meet my bonus that first year, mm. and then the second year uh, uh, was when um, they they I think they got a little smarter. They said, well, well, we'll handle this. We'll bench him at the beginning of the year. And so they didn't, I didn't play for the first four games. And we were averaging like 5.7 points a game mm. as an offense through four games. And, uh, and they came to me at the end of the four games. They said, we're going to put you in. I said, okay. So I ended up playing. And uh, it came down to the last game. We're playing Buffalo. And I played all year. And we're going to that last game. And they openly said, you know, I don't know that we're going to play them this week. And which is, I get it. It's a business. and mm-hmm. uh, But, you know, a lot of people took that – um, it became a, it became a media firestorm for a team that was mm-hmm. I don't even know six and ten that year or something you know four and twelve or something and uh, so we go to Buffalo and everybody knew I had to play a certain amount of snaps even you know Drew Drew Bledsoe who's playing for Buffalo knew exactly how many snaps I needed to get in that game and uh, ended up coming up I think two snaps short mm. and uh, and they were asking him it was like seventy nine point nine eight percent or something like that. And uh, they were asking him, you know, are you going to pay him his bonus? And, and uh, they said, no, he didn't make the, He didn't make 80 percent. We're not going to pay him. But that was the year they hired Marvin Lewis. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they hired Marvin and uh, the next day after they hired Marvin, they called and told me, hey, you know, we're going to count your um, your two point conversion plays in your 80 percent. And so you made your bonus. Wow. And uh, and so that was pretty cool. I think the other cool part was the next year. um we were pretty good, and uh, we went right to the last game and had a chance to make it to the playoffs. And Cincinnati hadn't done that in like 12 years before that. Mm-hmm. And uh, things were going pretty good. And uh, I think we have four games left, and I always wore a cross cap. I've, I've worn a cross cap since I came into the NFL. The guy, the guy who discipled me, Eric Bowles, said, when you go in there, you make sure people know where you stand. So I, I've always worn a cross cap. And in Cincinnati, I had a you know four or five different colors made up, and I would wear them before games, after games, in my in every press conference. I was always wearing a cross cap, and uh, 
I think, you know, like I said, game 11 or 12, the next day I get a fine, $5,000 fine for wearing a cross cap in my post-game interview. And, uh, <laughs> and so the media found out about that. And it became this incredible. I had people sending me money in the mail. Here I am, NFL guy, making millions of dollars, right? People are sending me money to pay for my fine. Mm. And uh, so much so that we had a, a, uh, a businessman in Cincinnati anonymously send the thing to my agent said you tell him to keep wearing that hat and i'll keep paying his fines every week well in the nfl fines double so it would have been five thousand ten thousand twenty thousand so on and so forth every week that you wore it and you know i thought about being a rebel and all that stuff and and, and you know i was reminded of what carl Payne taught us in seattle which is you submit to the authorities placed above you mm-hmm. as a believer mm-hmm. and so uh, we took the cap off took the cross cap off and our next two games were on the road and then we came back and we had a couple games left and when we came back I think we played San Francisco at home and uh, they estimated that 10,000 cross caps were in the stands that day because there was a couple of Christian stores that started selling them and uh, you know, when you think about the providence of God and mm-hmm. I think about like Joseph mm-hmm. and what he told his brothers was you know what, what man intended for evil God meant for good and I think about how you know they fined me $5,000. They end up rescinding the fine, mm. but they fined me $5,000 because they wanted to take the cross cap off. But it actually, you know, <laughs> made it greater mm. because of the providence of God. So mm. that's that's one way I think about that. And then the journey takes you, lastly, to uh, Detroit and Dallas. Can't wait to hear about this providence. <laughs> Tear, I'm tearing up here <laughs> thinking about <laughs> the 10,000 cross caps. God, yeah. God keeps using you. Right, and I and I'll say this. I mean, I don't know of a more generous Christian man that I've kind of shared life with than you. He takes you from Cincinnati to do Detroit. Why? It was the most miserable three years, honestly. Um, well, really, probably just the last year was miserable, but of my career, that that window was really bad, and uh, there were some you know some pretty bad things that were happening to me and my family and our you know my kids and and stuff like that because of football. And, uh, you know, I thought kind of football was going to be over. But um, what was really cool is we saw 36 people in those two years and four games, which I say two years and four games because mm-hmm. I was only on the roster for four games that last year. In 08, when they went on 16, I was only on the roster for four <laughs> games. But uh, <laughs> um, what was cool is we saw 36 people get baptized for the first time in their life, then get traded to Dallas. And, uh Wow. I could probably talk for five days on the blessings of Dallas, but mm. the locker room in Dallas got to see that thing get totally revived and um, believers coming to know Christ and guys coming to know Christ that were, you know, by their own admission um, saying, man, I tried to kill myself. Uh, these are guys that are stars and uh, I tried to kill myself and God stepped in and, and uh, again, probably 10 or 15 of them I still talk to to this day. And uh, it was a blessing, a huge blessing. Do you ever sit and think, why me? <laughs> I used to ask that question. My first year in the NFL, I remember I asked that question, and I was struggling with it. And uh, Carl Payne, I, I went, I, I talked to him because you know, I've, I got a high regard for my father. And uh, I remember my, in the NFL, my first year in practice squad, I made $66,000. And I remember, like, struggling with, Man, my dad has never made sixty-six thousand dollars in one year, and here I am, as a you know twenty-four year old, gonna make sixty-six thousand dollars. 
and I don't feel like I'm half the man my father is. And, uh, and I remember like struggling with that and, and talking with Carl Payne about that and Carl telling me, listen, you don't get to choose the journey God takes you on. What you do get to choose is, will you be obedient no matter what he takes you through? And that really, really like it removed that question of why me? And so while at that time it was oh, I'm making $66,000, well, you know, there was every one of my contracts I made the most that I could make out of all my contracts. But I also went through times where people booed me off the field. I went through times where people put signs in my yard. I went through times when, you know, my kids had to go to school and other kids were, you know, just ridiculing them day in and day out. I got fired. I got ran out of Detroit. I got in Cincinnati. I had, you know, just the thought of me going on the field, people started booing. And, uh, and so like, you know, but I always went back to that initial conversation with Carl Payne that first year of you don't get to ask why me. All you get to do is be obedient in whatever God, wherever God takes you. And, uh, and that's always, you know, so it was really good at a young age, especially in the Lord to learn, like it's fruitless to ask that question, both on the good side or the bad side, as far as how we look at it as humans. If there's an athlete that's listening to this, mm-hmm. how can I encourage someone to live that intersection, really, of faith and sport in that way? Well, I think, you know, it goes back to when Jesus told the parable about the rich man that wanted, you know, he was, you know, how do I store up all my treasures? I got to build big buildings to store up my treasures. And and Jesus, you know, talked about having eternal treasures. And, you know, in this world, especially in our country that we live in, sport is God. You should want to pursue to to be the best that you could be at whatever you do. And so if that's sport, then go after it. Go go full full bore. Do everything you can for it, as long as it doesn't cause you to compromise your beliefs and your faith. Mm. I had people tell me early on, quit wearing a cross cap. You'll be more marketable. I had people tell me early on, don't talk about Jesus in your interviews because, you know, that people aren't going to want to talk to you anymore and all that stuff. And, and, and I wouldn't go into interviews trying to, you know, bang the Bible over somebody's head. But if somebody asked me a question and the only answer could be a spiritual answer for me, then I have to answer it that way. Mm. I was never willing to compromise my faith. Do I think maybe it cost me money? Yeah. Okay. Do I think maybe that my faith maybe cost me a chance to be a better football player at, you know, at the end of the day, maybe, maybe cause I wasn't willing to, you know, to give up my family. I wasn't willing to give up my marriage and I wasn't willing to sacrifice some of these things that to me are eternal. The game is temporary. Mm. The money is temporary. The, the fame that we get to, you know, that we get from playing the game is temporary, but the relationships along the way, the Brock Hewers, the Travis Browns, the Josh McCowns, uh, you know, those kind of relationships, the, the Calvin Johnsons, the Roy Williams, the Ernie Sims, those kind of relationships are what, to me, are what matter. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, football is football. And it's great. And it's awesome. And, and, and it's one of the best things ever. And for a young athlete or a parent of a young athlete is, man, go all in, but not to the point of having to compromise your faith. Because at the end of the day, those are the things that are going to matter. And they want you to be cold-blooded when it comes to sports. And uh, I think that's just a hard place to live in.
Well, I told you he'd be transparent and vulnerable, and that's my buddy John Kitten. And thanks so much to John for taking so much time, and thank you to all of you that really do make this happen. It wouldn't be here without you and, and your partnership. And if you want to join in in a couple more ways, well, there's two opportunities to do so. And number one is to go to Compassion.com slash above. This podcast is fully sponsored by Compassion International, and I could not be more thankful for that. It's just we're thankful for Jessica in our lives, a beautiful girl out of El Salvador that we have been able to sponsor for a decade. You can do the same. And the second way to partner is simply to go over to iTunes and leave a review of just what you thought of this podcast. We'll release the next episode May 23rd every two weeks, and I so thank you for joining in with us.